right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that, out of hell with it, it's game week. No need for introductions. Andy, you forest-dwelling fairy wearing a human skin, how are you? Are you ready to do this? I'm, that's, that's it, just audible yelling. That's all the subtitles would be. Yes, I'm so excited. It's game week. Didn't think this was going to happen this year. It still doesn't feel real, but baby, it's here. It is here. It's going to happen. Minnesota might try and do everything they can to get out of it. A couple COVID positive tests, but it's happening whether they like it or not. I'm Jared of Maize and Brew. That's Andy of Maize and Brew. And we are stoked to be here uh, in the year where it thought or it looked like for a while there, we weren't going to get any football. We are now in a game week. It's going down this weekend in Minnesota in the snow. Man, I have not been this excited for a college football game in well, I mean, I get excited every year, but this one feels a little different. It's been almost exactly 11 months or since the last regular season Big Ten conference game for Michigan, since the Ohio State game. And I'm excited. It's a rivalry game of sorts with a little brown jug on the line. We've had it since 2015 with that goal line stand. It just feels right, man. It feels good. It finally feels like football is starting for us. Watching the last few weeks has not felt the same. There's not much vested interest. But now everything matters again because Michigan football is back. Absolutely, man. Nothing about the last few weeks really got me excited. But now with not only Michigan returning, but the Big Ten returning, it feels more like a complete season. I mean, could college football really be college football without the Big Ten? I mean, some of your most storied programs sitting out. I mean, that's just it doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't. It just it didn't feel the same without seeing the Michigans, Ohio States, the Penn States, the Nebraskas, the names all over the place. Iowa, Wisconsin. Just kind of felt like the glass is half empty. And now the Big Ten comes back this week and the Pac-12 follows suits the week after. Absolutely, man. And we start off with Minnesota. So tonight we are going to preview Minnesota. We're going to go deep dive on them. This is a very, very interesting game. We've touched on it in some of the podcasts in the past few weeks. I would argue, and I'm interested to hear your point, this is a more difficult opener than Washington would have been. Although Washington on the road, that's a long way to travel. That's a pretty tough stadium. But I, I would give Minnesota the edge over Washington as a more difficult contest. 100%. They're, they're better coach. They have a more proven coach in P.J. Flex since Chris Peterson's gone now at Washington. They have a lot of returning starters. I mean, quarterback being the one, the stud in Rashad Bateman. They are ranked for, I mean, what it's worth. I mean, week one rankings from the Big Ten don't mean much yet. But I think this team is very well coached, prepared. They bring back enough production to make me nervous. 100%. Absolutely. So before we get into Minnesota, we do have a few quick hits, uh, little blurbs that you've probably heard. Uh, first one, Nico Collins officially opting out for the season. This should surprise no one. Uh, he is draft eligible and should go in the top three rounds. It's a bummer. Uh, we could definitely use him, but we'll survive. It's not the end of the world. Got Jalen Mayfield back, and that was a really big one. So, again, can't, yep. can't win them all. Ambry Thomas, wish him the best as well. Yeah, I mean, Ambry Thomas coming back would have changed my whole outlook on the season. Yeah. Uh, Nico, we should be able to survive that. Um, a little Big Ten news. Journey Brown, though, the talented running back from Penn State, out for the season. So, we'll get to that game at some point, but that's going to change the outlook for their whole team. Yeah, that is not good news. They have Sean Clifford at quarterback. They like to use the running backs a ton, even though they have the new OC, Minnesota's old OC, calling the plays. Now they have to run the football, set up the play action, and losing Journey Brown hurts. And they have a track record the last few years of putting out some studs at running back. Saquon Barkley into Miles Sanders. Journey Brown was the next guy. So uh, that's a big loss for them. Um, 
moving forward, another another loss in the NFL ranks that is Michigan-related, our Lord and Savior Devin Bush, unfortunately out for the season with an ACL injury. Uh, absolutely wish him the best with that recovery. That is a huge bummer. I mean, he was a integral cog in one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, and not just Devin Bush this week. Taylor Luan, starting left tackle for the Titans, who, is, who are playing the Steelers this week, is also out for the season with a torn ACL. It sucks to see two talented Michigan players in the NFL both go down that way. That was unfortunate, but... Um... In uh, back to college level, there was a starting offensive line named kind of surprising. Harbaugh doesn't usually give you any starters before a game, um, but we pretty much predicted it. The offensive line that he gave us was uh, Jalen Mayfield, Chuck Filiaga, Andrew Vestardis, Andrew Stuber, and Ryan Hayes. Didn't necessarily say where everyone was going to be other than Mayfield and Hayes at the tackle uh, and Vestardis at center. So Filiaga and Stuber on either side of Vestardis, we pretty much called that. Yeah, we were spot on with this. Everyone was predicting it. Really interested to watch Stuber moving into inside at 6'7". This offensive line is massive. Perhaps the biggest in Michigan history. I did the math earlier this week on them. And across the board, they average out... I don't have the averages, but they go 6'5", 320. 6'7", 339. 6'3", that is a monster, monster offensive line. I mean, that's Wisconsin size. That is as big as you're going to find. Uh, Nick Eubanks at tight ends up to 256 at 6'5". Eric Alls. I believe. Was it? I believe you said 286 in the text you sent me. Oh, I was wrong. That would be way too big. <laughs> <laughs> He's 256 and Eric All is 6'4", 242. So if they go jumbo, that's a lot of beef for these two 220-pound running backs to run through. That is a lot. Average uh, size across the line is six five and a half, three hundred and twenty pounds. Jesus Christ! That is a monster offensive line. He also said Carson Barnhart would be the next man up. So I guess that was a little bit of a surprise. I thought it might be Zach Zinter, but uh, some of these young guys starting to to get in the mix as well. So excited to see that offensive line. The last quick hit is uh, two new names that have been talked about now by a couple people, and that's Taylor Upshot, defensive end, and Roman Wilson, the true freshman wide receiver. Uh, welcome to the chat because it sounds like they're going to be factors this year. I mean, you hear their names enough. You got to start to believe what's coming out of camp. And uh, according to Sean Nua, Taylor Upshaw kills everything in his path. So go ahead and just inject that into my carotid artery. <laughs> We're fine with this. Taylor Upshaw has been a project since he came to Michigan. I was actually tasked to write one of his uh, roundups when the new defensive ends were coming into Michigan. And he was a project. He was very raw, very arm tackling, didn't play a lot in high school, was oft injured. Compared him to Ziggy Ansah, the way he was playing, just kind of learning the position at the time. So now that he's come on and is killing everyone in his path, oh my God. Oh my God. Just give, give us more depth on the defensive line. I love it. Yeah, gives us more depth on what is already our strongest position group. So, I mean, starting to feel real good about that whole defensive line, uh, especially at defensive end. And uh, Julius Welshoff moving inside at 6'6", 300 pounds. Uh, I mean, there's, once again, a lot of beef on that side of the ball as well. Julius Welshoff is a massive human being. He started out at like 6'6", like 230, 240 small, and now he's bigger than Aiden Hutchinson. That is a monster. That's almost like too big to play D-tackle. How are you going to get under the center's pads? Because centers are usually 6'3 or below. 
he's just going to jump over them or just barrel through them, I guess. Yeah, right through them, I guess. Yeah, that's how he's going to have to do it. But the German's starting to make his presence known. And Roman Wilson at wide receiver uh, kind of got lost behind A.J. Henning, but sounds like this dude is the real deal. And with sub 4-4 speed um, and a little bit of an opening with Collins, Tariq Black, and DPJ going, I think we're going to hear his name more uh, sooner rather than later, maybe on special teams or maybe actually as a receiver. So very excited about him. Yeah, I love all this depth emerging at receiver between Henning, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, and behind the names we already discussed before. This is awesome. This is great for Joe Milton. All these extra weapons, versatile players, and speed, baby. Hot, nasty, badass speed, as Eleanor Roosevelt would say. It is just, I can't wait to watch this unit. This, I mean, we said before, like, wouldn't it be something if Ronnie Bell, who is still fast, is by far the slowest receiver? Yeah, slowest by a, a bit of a margin, it would seem. I mean, when Sane Rastill and Giles Jackson and now Roman Wilson, uh, Cornelius Johnson might be a little slower than him, but that's your big-bodied receiver. So uh, I feel fine about the receiver position, honestly. Yeah, I feel great about it. The depth that's emerging, I would just see if they, a lot of the youth can catch up. But as you and I talked off-air, Sane Rastill, Ronnie Bell, and Giles Jackson all have a lot of game experience from last year at receiver. A lot of snaps played. Yep, absolutely, man. So, uh, all right, brother, let's get into it. Michigan versus Minnesota, week one, October 24th, this Saturday, 7.30 Eastern time at TCF Bank Stadium in very, very cold Minneapolis. I just spoke with a uh, a lovely, lovely older woman from uh, Minneapolis Zoo, and uh, she told me that, oh, it's snowing like the Dickens. She, she literally said that, like she was in the movie Fargo. So it is going to be cold. It is going to be inclement weather. And it is going to be glorious. And that is probably going to change a little bit of the trajectory of the game. I I think that we've seen in the past that weather certainly plays a role in what teams want to do. Unless we're playing Notre Dame and we just do whatever we want to do and they can't do anything. That's the best case scenario. (laughs) I love that our team can't do what they want to do in Michigan. Just, you know, at will chooses to put up a 40 burger. But Yeah, this could change everything. This could change what Joe Milton does. This may not be a great game to really properly evaluate him, but this will be a great game for the offensive line and the defense because defense travels in the cold and the offensive line is going to be tasked with bully balling potentially throughout the whole game. We were talking offline and you have to think that inclement weather is going to favor the team that plays better defense and can run the ball better. And coming into this, I gave Minnesota a big advantage in their passing game and in their passing defense. That might get negated. So honestly, I think that this is a win for us. Yeah, it definitely swings things in Michigan's favor. And not to mention, Minnesota's without a, like two-fifths of their offensive line. Yes, so this is not come out on any of the websites yet. I read this on Twitter, but it is from the Gophers 247 uh, sports writer. So it comes from a guy with knowledge inside the program that potentially their right tackle, the massive human Daniel Falele, and their uh, right guard, Curtis Dunlap, might not be able to suit up for this game. And I'm not going to lie, I think that is going to swing the game a little bit. So we'll get into that when we go uh, positional advantages. And uh, let's start with the D-line so we can kind of talk about that. So uh, on the defensive line, we've already said in the past, we think it's our strongest position group. Minnesota brings back 0.5 sacks worth of production at tackle and five and a half sacks total at edge. So you've got six returning sacks, no starters coming back on the defensive line going up against a Michigan offensive line that on paper looks green, but we've seen almost everybody on that offensive line at some point. 
Yeah, and three of the players on the offensive line have extensive experience in Stuber, Mayfield, and Hayes. And the guys in the interior, Philly is as big as a house, and Andrew Vestardis won the center job. This is a great opportunity for them to ease into the season a little bit with some green guys in front of them to move them around. You're not opening up with the, like the five-star talent at Ohio State or anything like that. So the guys like Mayfield, Hayes, and Super should be able to impose their will, and Bastardus and Filiaga should be able to get their wits about them pretty easily against this very inexperienced defensive line. Right. So on the Minnesota D-line, the returning tackle is Micah Dutreadway, who is a Notre Dame transfer. Um, so we should maybe have seen him before. I don't know if he ever played for Notre Dame. Uh, but both their defensive ends gone, and they expect Boye Mafe and Esezi Otomoweo. Will to be the primary edge rushers. If you've never heard of them, that makes sense because, like I said, they're breaking in all new guys in the defensive line. So positional advantage, defensive line, I think this is the easiest one there. Michigan has the clear, clear advantage here on D-line, and especially if their right tackle and right guard can't play, this could be one of the biggest, most important matchups of the day. Absolutely. This six sacks returning is awful. I believe Quiddy Pay returns seven sacks alone. So I think it's, yeah, they, they both had over six, I believe, Hutchinson and Pay. So yeah, each one alone brings back more than their entire defensive line. That is not going to bode well for them, especially if this turns into a slugfest in the trenches. Absolutely. So clear advantage on the D line for Michigan there. And um, they have a, a solid running back, but it is probably going to be tough for them to run. I mean, you got to hope Carlo Kemp maybe improves a little bit from where he was at as a run stuffer last year um but like what you have in chris hinton sounds like donovan jeter's coming along so we have some depth there um our tackle situation isn't the best in the big 10 but it's better than minnesota's yeah there's a little more experience in there there's not you know just six sacks coming back yeah although minnesota's defensive line does have some good names yes they do have some good names but as of right now that's all they are is names and moving uh back in the defense it's kind of the same situation where they're breaking in new players all at the linebackers. They bring back Mariano Sori Marin, which is, once again, solid name, um, <laughs> at the linebacker. And he seems like he's a smart player. He'll be a leader back there for Minnesota. But that's about it for experience uh, with Thomas Barber gone for them. So Michigan bringing back Cam McGrone, uh, who really, really stepped up for us last year. Bring back John Ross, or excuse me, Josh Ross. And also you have Michael Barrett in there and talks of um, Van Sumeren also going to be playing some linebacker. So I, I think this one, I mean, what do you think as far as advantage? I'd say this one pretty, pretty obvious to me, but it has to be Michigan. You return, you have two guys at linebacker who've started at the most important position on the defense at middle linebacker and Cam McGrone and Josh Ross. Like not only does Josh Ross come back, but you have a player that stepped in for him and was better than him in Cam McGrone. Now they're on the same field together. It's like having two field generals out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, McGrone, you have a verified star. I compared him to Levante David last year. I think that's a great comparison size-wise, speed-wise. Um, he's only going to get better this year. I mean, he came in last year and was immediately top three players on the defense. So now with an extra year in Don Brown's system, I think Cam McGrone's in for a big year. I think Ross bounces back and has a great year. We've both thought Michael Barrett could be very good at the Viper position. Uh, Anthony Solomon's probably going to get some play as well. So I, I like our linebackers. I think this is a clear advantage, Michigan. This is the best I've felt about Michigan's linebackers outside the Viper. Just the the two there in um, Josh Ross and Cam McGrone that I've ever felt. Because even when it was Devin Bush, it was like Devin Bush, Devin Gill, or the player next to him would be, or they, they moved up um, the Glasgow to play up there. I feel 
as good about Cam McGrone and the pairing of Josh Ross as I have any Michigan linebacking pairing this decade. It's right up there. I mean, I loved having Khalid Hudson and Devin Bush come back uh, for outside uh, the Viper. I'm just talking like the two other backers outside the Viper. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it'd be hard pressed for me to think back. You got to go back to the days of Lloyd Carr probably to find a, a deeper linebacker core than that. I'd have to say. Yeah, off the top of my head, they had the ben, he had the Ben Gideons of the world, but still, it's like I feel better about McGrone and Ross than him. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I was going back Lloyd Carr's more like David Harris era was more what I was thinking. Prescott Burgess. Yeah, yeah, you got to go back then to find a deeper linebacker group. So, yeah, linebacker feel great about it. Moving back to corner, though, is where it gets a little bit dicey. Uh, did not realize that Minnesota was so prolific in their past defense last year. They only allowed 183 passing yards per game, which was eighth in the country. Uh, and they bring back two guys in St. Justin, Coney Durr, which is a, it doesn't sound like a real name. doesn't even sound like a real combination of words. It's just sounds. <laughs> but St. Justin, the Michigan transfer, they feel pretty good about their corners and their experience that they have there. And Michigan just moved Sammy Faustin from safety to corner, and he might be leading. You don't want a guy that just changed position a week ago to be your leader in the clubhouse for the second corner position. Michigan and Minnesota are funny in the back end because Minnesota feels really confident at corner. Michigan doesn't. Michigan feels really confident at safety and Minnesota doesn't. They bring back, I believe just Tyler Newbin. Is he playing? He is. And I don't know that he played a lot last year. He's just a high, highly regarded prospect. They feel good about him. Kind of how we felt about Dax Hill playing for us last year. Although Tyler Newbin is not a five-star. No, it's Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins back there. You feel great about both of them. You and I have said before, Brad Hawkins could be the unsung hero of this defense. But corner is where Michigan is going to struggle. We we perceive if they're going to have a weakness, it's there. Vincent Gray returns, uh, was going to be the number two corner, now up to number one, and he draws Rashad Bateman. Yeah. And uh, the other corner, we don't know. Could be Sammy Faustin, could be DJ Turner, could be uh, the one of the Green Brothers, although I still speculate they're the one person. But... <laughs> it's weird for it. It's hard for me to say that a team starting Benjamin St. Just has an edge at corner, but with the experience and what they did last year, I have to lean Minnesota in this situation. Yeah. Benjamin St. Just was an all big 10 honorable mention. Didn't make one of the all big 10 teams. So, I mean, he's not necessarily a star coming back. He's a solid corner. Uh, He would be our second corner. I would say if he were still at Michigan though, it'd be Vincent Gray and St. Just. Yeah, he would be our second corner and our third if Ambry Thomas was there. Yes, he would be the third. I, I do believe that Vincent Gray is a hair above St. Just, but they're very similar players, both big, rangy quarterback, cornerbacks, not crazy fast, but, I mean, they'll get their hands on you. They'll, they'll jam you at the line. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, we're going to be watching the secondary all day, and even if it is dumping snow, handling Rashad Bateman is a challenge for Vincent Gray. So you want to prove you're ready? Uh, week one, let's go. Yeah, but, I mean, in summary, Michigan has advantage in safety, at linebacker, and defensive line. So if this game does go to the ground, I feel fantastic. Oh, yes. If this becomes a slugfest and it's about who can run the ball more and they've got to go up against our defensive line and us against theirs all day, I mean, you have to feel much, much better about that. So I give Michigan a clear advantage on defense. I mean, despite the corner situation, that is a problem. Uh, But if they can't throw the ball around all day because of weather and it kind of removes the fact that we don't know who our second corner is, I mean, that really, really is an advantage for Michigan and our defense could rule the day. 
Exactly. And at corner, you just say St. Just and Vincent Gray cross each other out. And then it's can Michigan's unknown second corner compete with Coney Durr, which is just a string of syllables. So right. <laughs> it, it, the, the advantage from Minnesota does not look that great at corner when you break it down like that. So, yeah, man, I'm with you. This is a great matchup for the Michigan uh, for the Michigan defense as compared to the Minnesota defense. Right. And the second corner it does not have an easy day ahead of him, though. Chris Ottman Bell is no slouch as their number two receiver. He's a stud as well. Yeah. I mean, all the corners, whoever's going to be playing is going to have their work cut out for them. So they have to stay disciplined, especially if it's the weather's okay and they can set up play action. You can't get caught with your eyes biting because Tanner Morgan's too good and Rashad Bateman's first round talent. Easily first round talent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, looking good uh, on the defensive side of the ball there. So uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to move over to the offense, which uh, very, very interesting comparing these two offenses. So we will talk that. I also have some rapid fire questions for you to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind. Let's go. Let's do it, baby. We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are breaking down the Michigan-Minnesota game that at the time of this podcast will be about 48 hours away. Man, it was good to actually talk some football in that first half. It's going to be even better in the second half. I am excited. Let's compare Minnesota and Michigan offenses, my friend. Let's get to it. Uh, So let's start on the O-line, especially since we've got some news on the O-line. We already talked about Michigan naming their starters and that news that isn't official yet, but comes from the 247 writer um, for the Gophers, that they may be down two starters on their O-line, including the gigantic human that's the size of a ship of the line from the old British fleet in Daniel Falele, 6'9", 400 pounds of man that could potentially be out in this game. So how do you see this? Uh, a lot of people are concerned about Michigan starting, you know, a bunch of new guys on the line. I am not necessarily. I'm not as concerned either. Um, For Minnesota, losing an aircraft carrier of a human being does help. It does help things, especially losing two of their, you know, projected starters. That would be pretty devastating to Michigan's offensive line right now. But Michigan has three players that have played a bunch, as with Minnesota's line now. They have two players that are unproven. Michigan's feel a little bit better because they were at least presumptive starters. So for me right now, with Minnesota's experience, Michigan's talent, and mix of experience, I want to lean Michigan. But I'm just going to say it's a wash at this point with those two guys out for Minnesota. It was going to be a not a clear advantage for Minnesota, but I would say a pretty sizable advantage if Falele and Curtis Dunlap, the right guard, both played, because that's their whole returning offensive line. An offensive line that absolutely carved up Derek Brown and the Auburn defense in the bowl game last year, mind you. So it was an offensive line that was improving, starting to get more confidence. Daniel Falele is going to play in the NFL. That would be like if we lost Mayfield and Filiaga. I mean, that would hurt us more than I think it will hurt these guys because they will have, you know, they still have three returning starters and then two new guys, but they're going to be on the right side of the line. And who are they going to line up against? Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. That's that's a little rough for your first test in prime time in the snow. Aiden Hutchinson, do you think the weather bothers a man like that? No, Aiden Hutchinson doesn't feel the the weather responds to Aiden Hutchinson. (laughs) He will do as he bids. It's snowing because he wanted it. That's that's how it happens with Aiden Hutchinson. No, you're not a 6'6", 280-pound behemoth for no reason. You control the weather, damn it. 
<laughs> I will say, though, that was the matchup I was most excited for was Philele on Hutchinson. I think that's two future NFL guys. And I mean, it's essentially, yeah, like a house colliding, two houses colliding every time they meet. So I don't know who's going to be stepping in for him. I also don't know that this is official. It uh, The report said that they might not be able to suit up. So this is not something, don't take this as gospel, but it does come from their insider who's close to the program. So I'll give a slight edge to Michigan because of the Ed Wariner effect. And he is the most proven coach. His track record is pretty much flawless. And uh, we've seen all these guys in some capacity. We haven't seen a lot of Filiaga and Vestardis, but we've seen some of them. And then the other three guys I feel absolutely fine about. Yeah, I feel great about them. It'll be interesting to watch Stuber adapt to playing guard as tackle. But no, we've been on the Ryan Hayes train forever. Jalen Mayfield's a stud. He's going to probably be a first-round pick. And your point with Ed Werner is true. This is not the Tim Drevno offensive line we grew up with when Harbaugh got there. Absolutely. So, yeah, slight edge on the O-line to Michigan, um, and that is like a recent shift. So, And that could be – I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it when we make our final predictions. That is potentially – game outcome altering if those guys can't play. So uh, moving on to running backs. Yeah, with running backs, we know what Michigan's bringing to the table for Minnesota. I'm going to butcher this name, Muhammad Ibrahim. No, I didn't. Just crushed that. (laughs) Nailed it. It it crushed that. Had 1,200 yards from scrimmage in 2018. So it was that two. What did he do last year? Uh, Last year he had about 620, but he was behind, uh, what was his name? Uh, Ronald... um, I forget. They had a pretty good uh, running back that went to the NFL. Um, So he was playing behind him last year, but he had a great bowl game against Auburn. Looked really good. He runs very like Carlos Hyde, Maurice Jones drew where he's kind of a bowling ball, gets that low center of gravity, can make himself really small, fit through the holes. I think he's going to have a big year. I mean, 1200 yards from scrimmage in 2018. And then you take a back seat the next year. I mean, they had some running back talent on that team and this guy's no slouch, but no him. And then, after that, you don't really know what. Shannon, yeah, Shannon Brooks is he back? Uh, Shannon Brooks is. Let's see here. Um, Rodney Smith was the guy last year you're talking about. Smith, he was the stud. Rodney. Yep, uh, Shannon Brooks uh, was injured in 2018, and then Ibrahim stepped up, and so yes, I believe Shannon Brooks will be back. Okay, yeah. So those two both come back last year, combined for just over a thousand yards. Both played behind Rodney Smith last year at 1100. Um, thank God, no Tyler Johnson, a receiver. He's also gone. So, yeah, no, they have the experience at running back. Michigan has the depth, but a lot of unproven depth. Like last season, Hassan Haskins and Zach Charbonnet traded off halves of the season with who was going to be more dominant. And then after them, you do bring back Chris Evans, who has been proven to be, you know, a very capable player, which is insane. He's back. It's almost borderline unfair at this point. And uh, the dog, Blake Corum, who is a bowling ball at 5'8", two bills. 5'8", two bills. He's two inches shorter than me and yet 40 pounds heavier. Yeah. Yeah. This guy was just stone cold stunner us in the next week. That is absolutely insane. So, yeah, you got to love Michigan's depth. It just comes down to if you like our lead back over their lead back. I'm not going to vote against Charbonnet, especially with how he looked against Alabama. He was getting better as the season went along. He's fully healthy, so we're going to see the absolute 10 out of 10 version of Zach Charbonnet. And I'll take Zach Charbonnet over Muhammad Ibrahim. It is close though. Ibrahim is no, no slouch. No, he's not at all. So there's the one, two punch there for Michigan and Minnesota with the Haskins and uh, Charbonnet and Ibrahim and Shannon Brooks. But I think the difference maker here is Chris Evans and his versatility and what he can bring to the offense. 
I was going to say it if you didn't. I think that Chris Evans could be the X factor. I don't know how much we're going to be able to throw, but him catching out of the backfield, we started to see a little bit more of it before he went out with the suspension. So I think Chris Evans could be a difference maker in this game. And the fact that, I mean, you're bringing back a guy that is starting caliber and you're hearing his name too. I think it was uh, Carlo Kemp said, expect him to have a big, big year. So I'll give a slight edge here to Michigan. Yeah, I like it as well. I thought I was going to go with Minnesota, but talking it through, it's like the depth is there and the Chris Evans factor, the guy who is taking snaps as a freshman in 2016, baby, he's back. Right. Against Hawaii, he scored a touchdown. That's, that's that? Captain America is back. I can't wait, man. He's uh, he's going to be very interesting chess piece and just adds to the speed and space that has become this Michigan offense, like completely transformed from a few years ago. Hey, Jared, mm-hmm. I love you 3000. <laughs> that was unnecessary, but I love you right back. <laughs> so, uh, all right, moving on to tight ends. Let's go to tight ends. Tight ends. So they bring back Minnesota does their top four tight ends. I mean, they, they're bringing back quite a bit. Um, Jake Paulson and Brevin Spanford being the two names to know. Jake Paulson is a solid tight end. Uh, he had some good catches for him in the bowl game. And I mean, he's not going to blow you away. He's not a crazy athlete. He's more of a traditional tight end, solid blocker for him. And uh, I mean, the fact that they can go four deep is is certainly interesting. But how often do you play four tight ends? Yeah, exactly. Their leading receiver, leading tight end last year was Jake Paulson with four catches. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not bringing, they're bringing back guys that are decent, but I don't necessarily look at them as weapons. Um, you, you wonder if the new offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford, who was formerly a Western Kentucky coach, uh, OC at Notre Dame, he, he will probably try and get them more involved this year. Saw him a little bit. He did coach in the bowl game. I, I'm 90% sure he coached in that bowl game. So I imagine they'll try and get the tight ends more involved. But as of right now, it doesn't look like they're bringing back necessarily weapons, just depth. They're bringing back depth, and it appears they use their tight ends more in red zone uh, above anything else. So that'll be the place to watch them. But production-wise, you know, give me Eubanks and Eric all over this. I'd rather have two tight ends that produce and put up volume and numbers than when your leading tight end comes back with four catches. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Michigan's going to try and get Eubanks and all involved. That's the difference here. I know that they will. Nick Eubanks, especially with no Nico Collins, you kind of need that big body guy. And and Nick Eubanks, I mean, he's he's put up some touchdowns for us in the past. He's a good target. I, he has sure hands. He's just got to stay healthy this year. And Eric All, we're both high on. I mean, he's got a, a really tremendously high ceiling. A bit more of a receiving tight end than a blocking tight end. But if he's improved on his blocking and he's an every down tight end, I mean, he could be a stud. Yeah, three of their four top returning tight ends uh, all together had 10 catches last season. I mean, you, you see four coming back, the top four coming back, and you want to give the edge to Minnesota, but I'm going to once again go Michigan. Yeah, not. I'm sorry. I don't want to just say we're just going Michigan chalk here, but 10 total catches from three players? Nope. <laughs> Eric on Nick Eubanks. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, no, I mean, we might sound like homers here, but if where we're wrong, please jump in and tell us. You know, leave, leave us a comment. Let us know where we're wrong. Uh, moving on to receiver here, the uh, the homer run might stop here. Yeah, uh, Rashad Bateman is coming back. Uh, he was a Blitnikoff finalist last season. He was the second leading receiver on the team for them last year. Tyler Johnson had more yards, had 1,300 to Rashad Bateman's 1,200, had more touchdowns, 13 to 11. Now, Jared, I pose this question to you. Can Rashad Bateman put up the same productivity as the only option as compared to the number two option? That'll be very interesting. Chris Ottman-Bell is no slouch, their number two wide receiver. He only had 28 catches last year, but when you're playing behind Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, 
you're not going to see a ton of balls to come your way, but I think he'll step up very, very nicely and he'll be a good receiver for them. But he averaged 20.3 yards per reception. Every time he caught the ball, it was two first downs. That's insane. <laughs> That's that is absurd. He and uh, Rashad Bateman and Autumn Bell uh, had touchdowns of 66 and 70 yards last year, respectively. They're both fast. They both got good hands. They're both good route runners. Uh, I mean, I love Ronnie Bell. I love what we've got with some names and some of the production that you saw, some early glimpses from Mikey Sanristil and Giles Jackson and Cornelius Johnson. But you, you can't give an edge when you bring back Rashad Bateman. If we would have brought back Nico Collins, you still might not be able to give him the edge. That would be a better argument because you'd have Nico Collins paired with Ronnie Bell, and they were both very productive last season. And I think one, two together, they would do it. But in this case, you have to give the edge to Minnesota. Rashad Bateman is a complete stud. Even if his productivity drops off, that's, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. Can he produce as the number one? We'll find out. But I think he's got a lot of talent, should be a first round pick. And he is enough to raise all tides for the Minnesota receiving core. Absolutely. And the fact that it's his second year with the same quarterback, the extremely accurate Tanner Morgan, I think that he's going to have a big, big year. But if it's dumping snow and it's 20 degrees, I mean, who knows if they're able to push the ball downfield. That's going to play a role in this as well. But they'll find ways to get him involved, whether it's you know quick screens, whether it's um, end arounds. I mean, he's going to touch the ball. He needs to touch the ball 10 times if you're Minnesota. Yeah, they have to get, they have to get Rashad Bateman involved in as many plays as possible to have success. 100%. Whereas we can spread it around. Ronnie Bell doesn't need to have 10 touches if Giles Jackson's playing well or Cornelius Johnson's playing well. We don't have a guy we need to get 10 touches like that, which take that as a, a benefit or a detriment as you will. But I mean, without Bateman, their offense becomes a lot more predictable and easy to scheme for. And as we mentioned at the top, this is a big test for Vincent Gray right off the back. You want to prove you're the number one. You want to be the, the next Jordan Lewis, David Long, whomever. This is your chance. Absolutely. And hopefully Don Brown doesn't stick him on an island all day long. You've got to scheme around Rashad Bateman, I think. I think you got to throw some zone at him. You got to chip him. You got to do some bracket coverage with him. Yep. Show some different looks to Bateman. You don't want to let him run wild on you all day, or else it could be Jerry Judy in the bowl game again. Exactly. You have to do that, and you have to be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. Don't let him be comfortable getting out there and getting deep. Same thing with Altman. Like, you just got to be physical. Yep. Altman Bell kind of reminds me a little bit of Ronnie Bell, um, not just because of the names, yeah. but just, you know, a good, you know, well rounded wide receiver. So. I'll give the edge to Minnesota there. Um, pretty clear edge. Uh, like you said, if we brought back Nico Collins or somebody like that, it's a little closer, but it's it's pretty fairly in Minnesota's favor there. Oh, Now, lastly, I want I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Quarterback. This is, uh, this is an interesting one, uh, but I mean, look, Tanner Morgan, it's impossible to discount what he did for them. I mean, he's one of their all-time best players. First quarterback in Gophers history to finish a season with more than 3,000 passing yards and 30 touchdowns. I mean, he had 30 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. He's accurate. He's a game breaker. He's sneaky athletic. He's not crazy athletic, but he's like Shea Patterson level of athlete, maybe. Okay. Maybe not quite as fast. Yeah. I mean, he's a gamer. He, he's one of those guys that wasn't highly recruited, plays with a chip on his shoulder. And I mean, I, I think Justin Fields is probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten, but this guy's probably number two. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely. Tanner Morgan probably is. And you have to give the advantage here. We have not seen Joe Milton play a full game. Like, as much as we want to hype up the talent and praise him and worship at his feet and name our children's Joe, like, 
it has to be Tanner Morgan here. His accuracy, the way he commanded games last year, could somehow take them over that more than just a game manager. This to Michigan has to watch out for. It's like you can't let Tanner Morgan be comfortable in the pocket. It comes down to the offensive line, the defensive line, and putting the pressure on him and getting in his face. And this goes back to our very first point with defensive line advantages. Michigan has it so they can put the pressure on, and I don't think Minnesota does have it. So Milton will have more time to throw in this game. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, there's being optimistic about your team, and then there's being a full-on homer. And picking the guy that we've not seen play an entire game as a better quarterback than one of the best returning quarterbacks in the country would be being a homer. So we're not going to quite go that far. As much as I think Joe Milton is the most exciting quarterback prospect in the Harbaugh era, he's the most exciting quarterback prospect since Drew Henson to come through Michigan. I mean, he is, as far as potential, I mean, this is what you want to see. You want to see that Cam Newton is your ceiling. I mean, an absolute mutant of a man is your ceiling, but it's just a ceiling. It's just a thought right now. We haven't seen it yet. No, we have to at least see one game, one full series in meaningful game minutes, one full game. And then, like I said, we, can, we have all this together, and in a week we're going to know a lot more sitting here predicting the Michigan State game. And if there's one thing to watch with Tanner Morgan, it's that he really was pressured. It's not necessarily with Tanner Morgan. It's with their offensive line. He was pressured quite a bit last year. Their offensive line really started to grow, and they were really good at run blocking. But listen to some of these sack numbers that Tanner Morgan had to deal with last year against some quality teams and against some less than quality teams. Five sacks against Wisconsin, six sacks against Iowa and A.J. Epinesa, four sacks against Purdue and George Karloftis, but five sacks against Georgia Southern? I mean, are you kidding me? You allowed five sacks against them? I mean, granted, that was early on in the season. They were still coming together as an offensive line, but you can get to Tanner Morgan, and if you do, I mean, it's going to affect his passer rating. If you look at his passer ratings in the games where he was hit that many times, it does make a difference. Against Wisconsin, five hits, passer rating went down to 133.7, which is still quite good. Yeah. But against Penn State in the game where they, they had the upset, sacked one time, passer rating 281.9. Yeah, it's completely, it's almost like Nate Stanley last year. Nate Stanley and Iowa beat this Minnesota team. But when they played against Michigan, they just embarrassed them. Their offense could not move the ball. Michigan's offense couldn't do much either. They just couldn't get out of their own way. But Michigan's defense just commanded the line of scrimmage. And if that happens here, one thing Don Brown does best is draw up quarterback pressures, like out of from the linebacker, from the ends. And he's going to be bringing some bizarre looks. So Tanner Morgan's going to have his work cut out for him if he's running around. So based on those numbers, over, under, four sacks for Michigan. Uh, two starting offensive linemen, if they are out, give me the over. If they're in, I'll take uh, a draw or under. I agree with you. Uh, one stat that I wanted to throw out as well for Michigan's quarterback play. Last year, Michigan completed 55.6% of passes. That was good for 102nd in the country. I don't think I realized until I read that stat just how middling we were. I mean, that's not even middling. That is bad Yeah, in the country. 102 uh, in the in the country. So, I mean, Milton doesn't have to be that great. If he's just as good as Shea Patterson, I mean, with the weapons we have around us and that, like the return, returning uh, running backs, I mean, you've got to love the potential for Michigan's offense to take a step forward. Especially in the second year of the Gaddis offense. So, we're not breaking in a new coordinator, new play calls, new adjustments, none of that. Gaddis isn't starting the season in the booth. All of those growing pains are out of the way. So put that in there and the way Joe Milton's just been climbing the ladder and his ascension, I'm with you. He doesn't need to be Superman. He just has to be competent. 
No, especially in this first game. I mean, you're just getting your feet wet. Uh, you don't have to save us here. Ride Charbonnet and that, and we'll get to the keys to the game. But first, you ready for some rapid fire? I'll send them my way. I live for rapid fire. I need to make sure you're on your toes, baby. It is game week. The season is upon us. I want to make sure you're in mid-season form. All right, so you've only got a couple seconds to answer these. You ready? Yep, let's do it. Michigan has had, on average, 4.8 all Big Ten first-team players per year under Jim Harbaugh. Are we over or under that this year? 4.8 over. Uh, Jalen Mayfield uh, will definitely be uh, – is it first team? Like oh, You said first team? First team. Jalen Mayfield. Oh, oh under, under. Jalen Mayfield, Aiden Hutchinson, possibly Cam McGrone, yep. and that's going to be it. Maybe Brad Hawkins could. Maybe maybe Brad Hawkins. That's still four, so we're under. Yep, four. Yep, and I mean, you could see uh, somebody like, uh, I mean, who if someone else is going to step up and get that, Charbonnet, but there's some good running backs in the Big Ten. Exactly. There's just a lot of depth across the Big Ten. That's why I only picked one defensive end, and I always prefer Hutchinson over Pay personally. Yep. Can you name the year in which we had the most all Big Ten selections? 16? 18. Oh, oh, the revenge tour year. The, the revenge tour year was, a, was above that, yes. All right, question number two. Right. This one's an easy softball one. Over or under a, a thousand yards for Zach Charbonnet. Over. I like it. Just, right off, right off the bat, I think he might just be under, and that's not because he has a bad year. I think they're gonna use a lot of Haskins and Evans. If, they, if they're splitting carries, but if it's a lot of Charbonnet, like even more of like a balance, I think he could go. I mean, that's tough. Actually, on a regular season, I would say over, but with nine games, I'll go under then because I forgot yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, nine games. That, that's a good point. Yeah, we got to remember the nine game schedule. So I should have made it eight hundred yards to to account for that. Yeah, eight hundred. Um, yeah, that's that's a good number to be at. I will. I'll take over eight hundred yards for Zach Charbonnet. I'll go as well. Over. All right. Rank the Daniel Craig James Bond movies one through four. Go one through four. Uh, number one for me is Skyfall. Number two, Casino Royale. Number three is uh. Spectre, number four, Quantum of Solace. I'm fine with it, except number one is Casino Royale. I'm sorry, I don't, the last like 20 minutes dragged so much for me. Unnecessary, but that's okay. fine. I'm glad you're on your toes, though. I wanted to throw that one in. Look there. at that. Yeah, right. You know I'm ready. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, here we go. Does anyone on this team go for double-digit sacks? No. I think they're spread out. I think it's going to be close for either Hutchinson or Pay. even maybe throw him a groan in there, have like a Devin Bush type of explosion season. But I think all of them flirt with it. If I'm going to say one, I would say a, I would say Quiddy Pay. Yeah, Quiddy Pay. I mean, there's talk of him being a first-round pick. I never really saw it, but then you see what he's going to do with the combine, and he's an athletic freak, so it, it, a lot's riding on it. We picked him as our kind of needs-to-prove-it player a few weeks ago because I mean, there's first round talk. You've got to live up to that. So also with the the limited schedule, I would say that probably not. If someone gets over double digit sacks in this shortened year, they're having a big year. Yeah, they're having a baller season. Yeah, Quiddy Pay was named Bruce Feldman's number one freak in all of college football. Yes, absolutely. All right, last one. Over or under one first round draft pick? Uh, push one, Jalen Mayfield. I will say over. Ooh. I think Hutchinson or Pay. You got two guys there that are really primed, and if one of them gets to seven sacks, we'll say I think they'll they'll get into it. I like it. I like I like the boldness of that it wouldn't surprise me if Aiden Hutchinson came back for his senior year. That kid loves Michigan. He really does. And Quiddy Pay could come back. Yeah, bring it. In. They can come back for a couple more years with the COVID rules. I love it. Let's bring back the whole team. Yeah, everybody. Let's just run it back one more time. 
I mean, we're already really high on next year's team, but if you bring back a couple guys that you didn't think were coming back, oh my. We can get Carlo Kim back again and Chris Evans. Carlo Kim's going to be 40. <laughs> Chris Evans is going to be 46. <laughs> it's, wow. Oh, I, lo- I mean, one good thing came out of COVID. It's extra years of Chris Evans and Carlo Kemp. I love it. All right, brother, let's get into this. Let's go. Your predictions, keys to the game, uh, or excuse me, keys to the game, and then your score prediction. Keys to the game is limiting Minnesota's time of possession. They they were, I believe, seventh or eighth last year in the country in time of possession. They like to run the ball. They like to take their deep shots, but it's all set up on the ground. That way it opens up play action, gives Tanner Morgan some time back there. So I think a lot of this is going to be decided by stopping and limiting Minnesota's ability to run the football. By doing that, you give you take the ball out of their hands, give more opportunities to Milton and this younger offense so they're not as limited with possessions. And I think Michigan does that. And I think they win this game 31-23. It'll be slow paced. It'll be battled on the ground. But that's a little more than a touchdown a quarter. And I think Michigan's capable of that even in the snow. Absolutely. Uh, I like your your prediction for keys to the game as well. I think they were number six in the country Whew. in time of possession. Yeah. I did not realize how efficient this offense was. You thought it was all Tyler Johnson, Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman, but they like to run the ball, control the clock, very much a Jim Harbaugh, old school Jim Harbaugh style. So I I think you're you're spot on with that. Uh, I will say that it is, I mean, so a lot of that is stopping the run, but I will say getting after Tanner Morgan. I think that uh, if you can get into that five, six sack range, which is a lot, I mean, that's not a normal game, but it happened a couple times last year and their right tackle might be out. If you can pressure him and get them into uncomfortable third and longs where you can key in on Rashad Bateman and he's not just picking you apart, I mean, you also need to limit the the big plays as well. I mean, you don't want Rashad Bateman having two catches of 60 yards or something like that. But in the snow, that's going to be tough. They're going to be keying on him anyway. So I'll say getting after Tanner Morgan for this just for the sake of variety. Um, I see the game a little bit kind of like you did. And I'm going to be honest, I was actually predicting a Minnesota win before I heard that news about the Daniel Falele possibly being out because these teams on paper are, they're very similar. It's almost a wash. I mean, they've got the more experienced offense. We've got the more experienced defense, but defense travels and defense shows up in inclement weather. So I think it'll be a little bit lower scoring. I was predicting 31 21 before that news. I'm going to, I'm going to dial it back a little bit and say something more along the lines of 24 to 20. I think Michigan pulls this one out. And uh, I mean, th- th- that's changed. Both of us in the round table predicted this as a loss. Yeah, <clears throat> it's losing that right tackle and that experience on the offensive line does hurt them. But I think a lot of Minnesota's points, if they do come to, you know, 24, 21, whatever, I believe they'll come in the first half against every team not named Ohio State. Don Brown has made exceptional second half adjustments. And so if they get up, you know, 20 to 14, 20 to 10 or something, I wouldn't be alarmed because Don Brown always finds a way to settle in and get the most out of his guys in the second half, especially once they can get in there and get some adjustments because we've not seen Minnesota with this offensive coordinator and the changes they'll have made. Absolutely. And I mean, a big problem with Michigan early on, especially last year was mistakes, Uh, starting slow in games, turning the ball over a lot. I'd like to think that an extra year with Gaddis, all the extra time around the program, uh, with this elongated off season that they can hopefully work out some of those, those kinks. You don't want to be turning the ball over a bunch in this. This is going to be a tight game throughout. So if you play a clean first half and, and keep it tight, I, I think you're right. I think Don Brown will make the necessary second half adjustments. I mean, if, if Vincent Gray cannot do anything against Rashad Bateman, 
I mean, we're, we're in trouble no matter what happens. Cause I mean, they'll just loft it up there for him and he's a first round draft pick, but I, I think I trust Don Brown. I think I trust Don Brown. <laughs> I trust Don Brown in every game except for one. And we've said it many times, the best pass defense starts with a pass rush. And so your keys to the game, if they can get after Tanner Morgan, maybe Vincent Gray's out of coverage, but it won't matter as much if Tanner Morgan can't throw the ball. Right. If he's only got two and a half seconds to set and get rid of it because Hutchinson and Pay are in his face, I mean, it's going to be hard to deliver an accurate ball. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm beyond excited, brother. I am beyond excited. Where are you watching the game? I'm watching the game in the sanctity of my own home, private, surrounded by a small group of loved ones because too many is too many variables. And the last thing you need is a racist uncle making jokes and wise comments about how good he was at football. So I'm going to have a small circle, friend, maybe a family member, maybe two. We're going to be safe, keeping it controlled, a little drinking. Just We need home field for the first game of the year. Got to ease the nerves into this season. 100%. I thought about going to the Michigan bar, but with COVID and all the restrictions, who knows what that's going to look like. And yeah, the safety of home for this one. I need to be able to scream at the TV and I need to be able to drink 30 to 70 beers, you know, without breaking the bank. Exactly. And I, I need to have something close by to break. Uh, I forget what it was. It was... um. Oh, one of the offensive linemen in 16. I called like my remote, like the Eric Magnuson or something, because I'd always just throw it when he'd screw up. <laughs> I think it was the Kyle. Kalos. That's what. Yeah, it was the Kyle Kalis remote. Oh, man. I was just ready to chuck it. I was just walking. Yep, here it's Kyle Kalis again. So I need something ready to throw. because I got to figure out who's going to piss me off the most this season. But we're having football, so I'm going to be happy to be mad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we could just be sitting around doing. I don't even know what I would be doing if this were not apple probably. picking. Yes, I'd be in a pumpkin patch, hating my life. Yeah, be great. Oh, that's an awesome scarecrow. Man, look at all this cornfield. Whoa. <laughs> I'm really depressed, and I hate my yeah, life. Yeah, it's like we're sitting here can like, like thinking about having relationships. Like, oh, no, we're that bored? Yeah, a relationship? What are you, out of your mind? I've got football We now. got Michigan football back. That's all the relationship we need this season. Go, brother. So uh, we'll be back next week, and we will have a bit of a breakdown for you. Finally talking real football and hopefully covering a win. And next week is hate week, baby. Oh, my God. If we start out 1-0 and going into hate week, my hype for this season is going to go through the roof. Rocky Lombardi fans, if you're still there, don't tune in. No, you're not going to want to hear what we have to say about that guy. <laughs> Some may have already heard. Well, we have more. You think that was it? Here's dessert. Yeah, you think calling him a Nazi was was bad? Just wait till game week. <laughs> wait, wait till we bring up his passer rating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's really scary. <laughs> That's the bad numbers. Yes. All right, brother. Any other things from you? Finally, go blue. God, that was sweet. Love to hear it. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Uh, make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. And mercifully, this is Out of the Blue. Wherever you go, go for it.